Genesis chapter 1. All right, let's look at verse 26 and 27. (coughs) The word of the Lord says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And read verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, I want to read one more verse. Look at verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, to them, both the man and the woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish, birds, and and every living thing that moves on the earth. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. In this creation account, we have this clear account. Now, we read later on in Genesis chapter 2, a little bit more detailed account of how Man and woman were created. Now we know that there is this in-between story where God puts Adam into a deep sleep because Adam is playing with all the animals. But God looks down and says, this is not good for man to be alone. So God puts Adam to sleep. And then while he's asleep, takes one of his ribs and then forms woman out of man. (laughs) We know that that's the detailed account in Genesis chapter 2. But the overall account in Genesis chapter 1, with the mandate to have dominion on the earth, with the mandate that God gives to man to have authority on the earth, in that mandate that there is no distinguishing between gender when God gives that mandate. He gives it to both man and woman. Which means that not only is man to have dominion on the earth, but women are also called upon. To take on that mandate and have dominion on the earth. Alright, if you guys look up, there's probably my, my sermon title. Is my sermon title not up? Alright, alright. I think it's in your chubo. Okay. Um, it's not. Alright, I'll give it to you now. Maybe I won't give it to you. No, I'll give it to you. Uh, today's message is called, Women Are Not Inferior. Women Are Not Inferior. All the women said? All right. In the upcoming weeks, I'm going to try to preach a series of sermons on the role of women in ministry and the role of women in leadership in the church. Now, how many of you guys are from a Presbyterian background here? You guys have a Presbyterian background. How many of you had a Baptist background? Okay, that's about 90% of the house, okay? Uh, we're all from a very denominational, myself included, a do- denominational, conservative, evangelical background. Now, if no one ever taught it to you within your church, you picked it up by way of observation. What the role of women are in most of these denominations, okay? Now, um, this is an emotionally charged topic, So I'm not going to come out and say that I'm an expert and I may preach to you uh, my convictions and let me tell you that this is right and that's wrong. Okay, Uh, It will not be a gracious thing for me to even try to do that. 
Okay, what I'm going to do is try to present some of the controversies, try to present some of the issues, and then try to present my view. Now, just to be honest, I have to confess that the more I read into the issue, I mean, I started off thinking, I know where I stand. I know where I stand. All right, and then the more I looked into it, the more I was like, wait a minute, maybe this is what I stand for. And I read, I read, there's like these books called, there's, um, there's a book that I found in the Torture Library called Four Views on Women in Ministry. And these, this is a series of books. Uh, they have four views on hell, four views on whatever, providence. There's all these different series of books where it talks about three or four views. And in the book, what they do is they have these scholars, these uh, theologians, they present their case. And then what happens is the other three authors in the book, they make a rebuttal at the end of that person's chapter. And then the second person presents their case. And the other three uh, authors also make their rebuttal. Okay, so if you ever read one of these books, I mean, it's like this. <laughs> Whoa, this guy's so smart. No, this guy's smarter. Wait a minute, this guy said something this guy didn't mention. All right. It's an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> and so there was a book published um, a while ago, I think maybe early 90s, called Four Views on the Women, Four Views of women in ministry. But there's a recent book that just came out a few years ago, and it is called Two Views of Women in Ministry. What has happened from the publication of the first book to the second book is that a lot of smart people have abandoned some of the traditional ideas and convictions that they used to hold to. Isn't that really something else? If you go to southern ba- uh, certain Southern Baptist churches, they're very traditional. Meaning that women, uh, they're restricted in some of the things that they dress, in their dress, their attire. Uh, they're not permitted to speak. Because the Bible talks about women should be silent in the churches. And I'll try to tackle that text, not today, in an upcoming sermon. Okay? Um, you go to certain Presbyterian churches. PCA, Presbyterian Church of America. In America, there's several Presbyterian denominations. The main ones are PCA, PCUSA. PCUSA is a lot bigger. There tends to be a lot more liberal-minded leaders in PCUSA. Um, PCA is more smaller and conservative. But you will never find, from what I know, unless they progressively change, you will never find an ordained pastor in PCA ever taking the pulpit and preaching a message to a audience that includes both genders both adult genders this is, it gets all crazy because some of these denominations will permit a woman to teach both genders if they're under the age of 18 or under the age of 21 because children's ministry is permitted by all genders but both genders not all genders both genders uh, <laughs> but adult ministry is restricted only to men and there's certain bible texts why they believe this um this is an emotionally charged issue. And there's multiple layers. There's different topics that involve the different questions that are involved in this topic. And I want it to be comprehensive, but I must let you know from the very beginning, it is nearly impossible to try to give you a comprehensive presentation on this. Meaning that there might be things that I don't cover. All right? And I'm intentionally not including all of that. Because... There's just too many rabbit trails that you can go out on and different approaches to arguing this. Anyway, I will try my best to present the main issues. Um, 
Someone once said that the most oppressed people group in the world is not an ethnicity, but a gender. Throughout all of history, it's not African Americans that are the most oppressed people group in the world. It's not the Chinese that are the most oppressed people group in the world, or Indians, because, you know, there are billions of them, so you can argue that they may be the most oppressed. But throughout all of history, consistently, the most oppressed people group in the world is half the population of the world. It's the women. Uh, think about the Taliban. Uh, if you guys know Afghanistan and the culture that they um, require the women to submit to in, the, in Afghanistan, uh, it's very oppressive. Uh, women are required to wear a burqa. Uh, they are not allowed to show any part of their skin. Um, they're not allowed to, most of them don't get an education. They're not even, by law, allowed to get an education in some of these countries. Um, I mean, to be real, for most of history, women did not get an education. They were not allowed to get an education. The traditional patriarchal view of women was, women are there to give birth to your children and to manage your household, to serve and to manage the household. That has been largely, in most cultures, the way that women have been treated and thought of. Um, why did most cultures enforce this systematic oppression of women? That women should just give birth to children and raise the children. Now why, why, why? Because there's this basic belief that people believe that, both men and women believe, that women are inferior. Therefore, women should not get an education because that's a waste of time. Women don't know how to handle an education. Women get an education and they go, oh, what do I do with this? Okay? That's the general belief that has driven and perpetuated the oppression of women. It's the belief that women are inferior. Okay? Now, this is not only common in Islam, this is common in Christianity. Um, there's a Bible verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, which I will not tackle today, but I will mention. And 1 first cha- first Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, it mentions that women should be silent in the churches. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Let me stop right there. In a lot of Christian traditional churches, they believe, they use this argument referring to Genesis, right? what we just read earlier. Adam was formed first and then Eve. Therefore, because Adam was formed first, women are inferior. Women are subordinate and inferior because man came first. So, you know, the one who gets there first is the one that should be in charge, is the one that's smarter, the one that's stronger, etc., etc., etc. Okay, that's the very traditional uh, view and perspective. And, you know, there's a lot of funny rebuttals to this one. The most funniest one being that, you know, a lot of egalitarians will argue, well, Animals were created before Adam. So, does that mean Adam's animals were inferior to animals? 
Okay, uh, and so it's hard to hold that logic. Although there are other reasons why someone can argue this, but I'm saying that that argument by itself should be thrown out. The whole first thing. Okay, uh, if you re- keep reading though, um, it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul writes, "Adam was not deceived, but the woman." That just sounds a little inaccurate, doesn't it? I mean, I think both of them were deceived. Amen. I mean, they, both of them were deceived. It's just the woman was deceived first. Okay, that's true. But it almost makes it sound like the Apostle Paul is arguing that the woman was deceived, the man wasn't. But the man just really cared for the woman so much that he just kind of went along with this because he didn't want to hurt her feelings. <laughs> you know, something like that. It says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay. And so some Christian traditionalists will take that part of the verse and say, see, women can't get an education. They should not be entrusted with one because they're easily deceived. <laughs> Close down those schools. All right. Um, and that's another argument that Christians use to uh, claim that women are inferior. When I went to high school, I went to a high school in Philadelphia called Central High School. Central is the second oldest high school in all of America. And one thing you will notice about Central is, if you look through the old archives of the school's history, you will find that there are no women why? Because Central was an all-boys school until very recently. It was an all-boys school. Uh, across the street, though, you have another school. It's called Girls High. <laughs> so you can kind of guess like, who goes there, right? Um, but eventually, they fought it in the courts. Very smart women. You know, and they felt that they were getting robbed of a better education. And they were. Because Central had a much higher and more, more, more prestigious teachers and they would get a better education there but they were being denied because of their gender and so they took it to the courts and eventually central high school realized that uh, perhaps it's constitutionally wrong for them to no longer admit the women so they opened up their admissions to women and then from then on it has been a lot of women at central high school girls high school is still all girls by the way and the funny story is when i was a student there was a guy that try to take it to the courts and say, I should be allowed into girls' high school. (laughs) I don't know what came of that. (laughs) But you you can see that, really, until very recently, women were denied an education because of the basic belief that women are inferior, that they are not able to steward an education properly. Um, Whenever... Um, yeah, I'll go into that a little bit later. Uh, there are two reasons why women, they're in one way oppressed in the church. There's two reasons why, two main reasons why. One is because of tradition and culture that we pick up from the world that we live in. Uh, whether it's a Korean Confucian culture, whether it's a Greek uh, Hellenistic culture, you know, whatever culture you grew up in, there's two reasons why. One is culture and tradition and number two is biblical exegesis two reasons why women are oppressed in the church 
women are denied certain things. For example, preaching at the pulpit, teaching to an adult congregation of both men and women. Why are women denied these things? Some, a lot of denominations deny women's ordination, even to being a deacon or being an elder. A lot of these things are denied or were denied at one point in their history. Why? It's because of those two reasons. Tradition and culture and biblical exegesis. Today, I will only tackle the first issue. And I may not talk, tackle it comprehensively, but I will attempt to try to take down some of the mindsets that people hold that you have not actually derived from the Bible, you have derived from your culture or your tradition. I mean, how many of you guys can say in here, I did a biblical extragetical study sometime in my high school and college years in which I came to the conclusion about my views of women in ministry that I have and, com- and, I, and I hold to those convictions today. How many of you guys can say that? Very few. So how did you come to your convictions about women in ministry? Okay. Most of it was through observation of your tradition and culture. Now let me ask you a question right here. Let's just get, get an interesting survey. All right. Be loud and proud. Don't be. Don't be. Don't. 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 Don't hesitate to say your view. Okay. How many of you in here you think that it's okay for women to preach to both uh, uh, to an audience of both genders that are adults? You're okay with that? Raise your hand. Okay. I can't tell who's not raising their hand. Let's do the other way. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. I won't do that. <coughs> I won't do that to you. Okay, let me ask you some more interesting questions. How many of you are comfortable with a solo female lead pastor being in charge of your church? Okay, let's have the people that are okay with that. You're comfortable with that. Okay, raise your hand. You're comfortable with that. All right, that's about one third of the room. Okay. How many of you think that women should be ordained as pastors just like men are? Raise your hand if, you're, if you think that. Okay. Let me ask you another question. Women professors in seminaries, they should be permitted to teach a class of both men and women. Adult men and women. Okay, the majority of you. Okay. Do you guys know that there's a seminary, one of the conservative seminaries here in the city? I think it's called Chongshin, Chongshin, Chongshin De. Okay. I heard, I haven't visited, but I heard that they do not permit female professors. Okay. Now, let me go further and say, I think I heard that they don't permit female students. Does anyone, can anyone confirm that? Since 89, they have accepted female students. Okay. But no female professors, from what I know. Okay. I could be wrong. Okay, but that's an example of a conservative view. They still don't, they're not okay because of this Bible verse, mostly because of this Bible verse, but also because of tradition and culture. They don't even uh, explore or entertain the idea of a different exegetical conclusion or interpretation because they're strongly rooted in their tradition and cultural beliefs. And the basic belief is that women are inferior. Now, I want to argue today that women are not inferior. Okay. Let's begin with Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 says that men and women 
were created in God's image. Now, I want to stop there. That's very important. Okay, it says in verse 27, in the image of God, he created him. It looks like he only created man, but the next line says male and female, he created them. That means that the man reflects an image of God in a certain way, but the women also reflect an image of God in a different way, but it's still the image of God. It's not that women are created in the image of Adam and the image of man, but they're both created in the image of God. That means if you start to oppress and say women are inferior, women should not be afforded similar rights to men. When you start to argue that, what you are also arguing is that they were not created in God's image. Or you're arguing that there's an aspect of God's image that's inferior that was transferred to women at creation. So what, God took all the weaknesses of himself and made women? Right? I mean, uh, some women will argue that women are stronger than men. <laughs> okay. okay. But the Bible makes it clear that they were both created in God's image and both of them were given the mandate to take dominion on the earth. Okay. And so we have to start to root out this deep-rooted belief that women are inferior. Here's how it manifests in a lot of culture. Polygamy. Polygamy exists because of the basic belief that women are inferior. Because, here's the thing. Women, the reason why women were concubines and kings and different leaders and rich people would have many wives. And then there would be different levels to those wives. There would be like the top wives. And then there would be the concubines. And this is in current culture. And then there would be the mistresses. Why would they think that about women that they honored, respected, and valued? Okay, I would, I, would, I would submit to you that most men will not do that to a person that they value. You ever see the way a rich person or even a king that's a corrupt king treats their concubines? They don't treat them like people. They treat them like animals. Um, human trafficking. The pimps that are out there trafficking millions of women around the world right now. And mo- a vast majority of those women are Korean, by the way. Korean women are trapped in the human trafficking industry in a magnitude that will blow your mind. Just in America alone, you go to San Francisco, Boston, um, L.A., there's a huge industry for sex. And it's run and supplied through Korean women. How are these Korean men that to you look very yamjun they look nice, they don't look like they were hurt a bug, how are they beaten, beating these women, stealing their money, stealing their identity, kidnapping them, tricking them? How are they doing that? Because these men in their minds, they have a basic belief, these women, they don't have the same value as they do. If they, if they believe that about men, they will be trafficking men. But the vast majority of the, of the people that are trafficked, human traffic, who are they? They're women and children. Women and children. Um, I believe that in God's view, God sees man and woman with equal value. 
He sees them as also equally capable of whatever he assigns. So I believe that God looks down. He looks at a man and woman. He looks at the man and says, man, I need somebody to go out there and plant churches in Japan, in China, in places that are very difficult. I need somebody to rise up and I want to give that person gifting and opportunities and favor so they can be successful in their mission. When God starts to think of that kind of appointment and that kind of mission, I don't think God looks down and then says, um, but women are disqualified. I'm not even going to at, look at women that way. Okay, I believe that God looks down and it says, you know, a man can do it or a woman can do it. And let me choose who I'm going to distribute that call to. Okay, so um, let's, let's get into examples in the Bible. Go to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. Hallelujah. I'm going to try to preach for about 13 more minutes. And I'm going to start to close it up. Okay. Judges chapter 4. <coughs> you guys know this as example of famous biblical leader in the Old Testament. Her name was Deborah. Look at Deborah. Uh, I almost said Deborah chapter 4. <laughs> Judges chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. It says, now Deborah, everyone say prophetess. Okay, so God seems to have no problem pouring out his spirit for a person to prophesy who is a woman in the Old Testament. By the way, it seems to me through Joel chapter 2 that God still does not have a problem pouring out his spirit on women on this side of the cross for them to prophesy. Okay, let's go back, right? She's a prophetess, the wife of Lapatoth. I don't know how to say that. Was judging Israel. Judging is another word for like leadership. Leading Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now that word judgment, once again, doesn't mean came up to her to be like, Judge me, Deborah! Punish me for what wrongs I've done. You know, they came up to her for uh, judgments of justice, decisions, counsel, advice, leadership. Okay? And does not say only the women came. All right, it says here, the people of Israel came to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from the Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. Okay, let's stop there. Deborah is a leader, a spiritual leader for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And it never comes, God never indicts Deborah for saying, you have done evil by taking a position of leadership. And Deborah would say, well, there are no men, God, so what do I have to do? And God's like, I understand. Now, some people think that's what happens, but no. It never happened. There's no biblical verse in which God indicts Deborah for doing evil. Neither does he indict Israel for evil by allowing a woman to lead. Okay? And so the absence of that should tell you something. God seemed pretty comfortable and okay with Deborah leading in the Old Testament. Uh, go to Micah chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. Micah is toward the end of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 6, verse 3 to 4.
Now, I'm not here to argue my point. I'm here to present it. All right, once again, because I'm trying to do it as graciously as possible. So it's fine for you to disagree with me. Micah chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. It says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Verse 6. For I brought you... Uh, verse 4. Uh, Micah 6, verse 4. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now, who was Miriam? This is Moses' Nuna. Older sister to Moses. Verse 5. <laughs> oh, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gigal and that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. Okay. Um, I need uh, the NIV, I believe. Okay. All right. Yeah, there's, there's a different version of the Bible. This is the ESV. And one thing you will notice about the ESV is the ESV already has an interpretation about women in leadership. Okay? And, the, and it's not a favorable one. So I'm just letting you know that the ESV already has changed traditional ways of uh, translating a text into the favor position of what they believe about women in ministry. So I believe uh, there's another translation of the Bible here. Where it says in Micah 6, 3 to 4. And it refers to Miriam. You want to read that? Pastor John will read. You got an NIV? Alright. 3 to 4. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. Also, Aaron and Miriam. Alright. So God sent Moses to lead. So God's referring to Moses as a leader. But then God says in the next line, also Aaron and Miriam. Okay. Uh, so the ESV has effectively taken that word out, the word lead. Okay. Uh, I believe God here is referring to Miriam as a leader. Okay. Because Miriam, that's what, exactly what she did. What did she do functionally when you observe what she did? She led. In fact, when they came up out of the Red Sea, guess who led the first praise session? Okay. Miriam. Okay. Miriam is the Darlene Sheck of the Old Testament. There's some people, they have problems with female worship leaders. A lot of the vast majority of the conservative Christians in, uh, in America have a problem with Darlene Sheck. You know, she's the Hillsong worship leader that... You know, used to before Hillsong United, you know, before the cool stuff, there was like this adult-like, easy listening type of praise, uh, and that was Darlene Sheck would lead that. Shout to the Lord, all these songs, you know, uh, they were famous. Um, but Miriam was the first Darlene Sheck of the Bible. She led worship. Uh, let's go to Second Kings chapter twenty-two. Second Kings chapter 22. Second Kings 22, verse 14 through 20. And then there's another verse, Second Chronicles 34, verse 22 to 28. We'll just look at the Second Kings. Second Kings 22, verse 14 to 20. 
So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to, went to Horda. Oh, that's a very attractive name. Horda. I love you, Horda. Horda. Look in my eyes. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of the men are like arguing. You see that? Horda. Man, that sounds like a masculine woman. Only the masculine. Nah, I'm just playing. All right. I didn't say that. I, I thought that's what I meant to say. Hulda, the prophetess, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, son of her house, keeper of the wardrobe. They talked with her. She said to them, thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place, upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods. In other words, Hulda, the prophetess, not only prophesies, but gives a political advice for the whole nation. That is, that is high-level authority type of leadership. And once again, we have nowhere in the Bible where Hodada was indicted or judged for the actions of leadership that she took on. Okay. Now, these are... There are not that many examples of women in leadership in the Old Testament. Let me just confess, right? But these are some of them, if not all of them. <laughs> not that many, but they're there. They're there. And what Chris Valentin, and this is not something I agree with particularly, but I thought it was very interesting. His argument was, if this is what women were able to enjoy in ministry and leadership in the Old Testament, and they were part of and under an old covenant, an inferior covenant, why would we on this side of the cross restrict women more so when we're part of a superior covenant? One in which Christ comes to free the captives. And so, you know, that's kind of like Chris Valentin's argument. We're part of a superior covenant. Why are we trying to backtrack and oppress women even more than they were oppressed in the Old Testament. Now, I think that's a very interesting point. Um, I want to go, go after these two, two things. Jesus. Let's look at Jesus' view of women in the Gospels. Okay? Uh, turn to, turn to uh, Luke 10.39. Let's look at three verses. Luke 10.39. Now, you know, a lot of times when we teach on Mary, we often say that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And so should you. Right? And a lot of times when we say that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, what are we trying to refer to? We're trying to refer to the spirit of worship. You know, you should be like Mary, not like Martha. So sit at the feet of Jesus, just shut up and worship him. Okay? But in the, in the gospel account, is that what actually took place? Was Jesus just sitting there and just being like, Everybody, sit at my feet and worship me. <laughs> yeah, Mary, you've chosen the better. I mean, what is Jesus doing there? Is he just sitting there and receiving worship? Is that the primary of what Mary, the reason why she was on the floor at Jesus' feet? Was that the primary reason? No. What was Jesus doing? 
He was teaching. He was giving them their inheritance. He was giving them words because those words are spirit and life. And so what is it? It's not so much worship as it is discipleship. It's about an education. It's about getting your learn on. And if Jesus had a problem with women getting their learn on, he should have told Mary, go in the kitchen. I can't keep teaching with you right here on my feet. You're all tickling me and stuff. Go in the kitchen, girl. Okay. Doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Uh, let's look at Luke 10, verse 39. Luke 10, verse 39. All right. It says, she had a sister named called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. And this is the account that I just, no, no, this is a different. Yeah, this is the same account. And listen to what? His teaching. Okay, so Mary was there getting her learn on. And Jesus did not send her away. In fact, Martha was doing what was culturally acceptable. She was up in the kitchen, cutting up the apples, getting ready all the fruit and the little hors d'oeuvres. And then came out and said, Mary, what are you doing? Help me out. I'm stressed out here. And Jesus rebuked Martha. And said, hey, all right, she can cut the fruit later. Look, we ain't even that hungry. Martha, Martha. Mary's chosen the better and won't be taken from her. Okay? Now, you have to understand, this was a prime opportunity for Jesus to express heaven's view of women in ministry, women in education, women in leadership. Okay, here's, a, here's another example. Let's look at uh, Matthew. Uh, let's look at Luke 8, verses 1 to 3. Fast forward a little bit. Luke 8, verse 1 to 3. Oh, hallelujah. I can do this. I can end in a few more minutes. Okay. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. All things are possible. Hallelujah. All right. So soon afterwards, he, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also, now a lot of times when we think of Jesus going through the cities and towns, we're only thinking about the twelve disciples. The twelve disciples arguing with each other who's going to be the greatest. Peter's like, yeah, shut up, man. I'm the greatest. And James is like, no, you shut up. I'm going to get my mama. And you know, get your mama. You little mama's boy. You didn't get nowhere. All right, you th- we think of only the 12 disciples. But here's the true account. Here's what you have to really get in your head. This is what was really happening. The 12 with him, verse 2. And also some women who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom some demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many and many others who provided for them out of their means. In other words, Luke is saying the 12 disciples were broke. They didn't have no money. And if it wasn't for these women following us around, we would not have been able to eat for the three public years of Jesus' ministry. That's what Luke is really implying here. Okay. Because what's interesting here is it says also some women... Some women, but then it ends with many others. Meaning, what would many others mean to you? 20? 30? I don't know, but it's going to be more than 12 if the author says many others. So all these people are following Jesus. And what are they primarily doing when they spend time with him? They're receiving his words. Okay, uh, look at one more. Matthew 27. We'll look at this real quickly. Matthew 27. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I can do this. 
Matthew 27. Okay. Three more minutes. All right. Matthew 27, verse 55. Look at this. This is uh, at the death of Jesus at the cross. It says, verse 55. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who have followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him. Many women there who have followed Jesus all the way from Galilee ministering to him. Um, What I'm trying to say is Jesus had many disciples and they were not all men. And so from the time of Jesus until very recently in the 40s, 50s, and 60s when women were finally afforded an education at a systematic level across most uh, modern nations, from that time of Jesus until now, the men and the women have not gotten the point that God is okay with women getting an education. In fact, in the kingdom of God, the women, they must receive the words of God. What kind of church would we be running if only the men were allowed to sit through preaching and teaching because we believe that women are inferior and can't handle their education? What kind of church would we raise up? But it says in Galatians, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. Now that's the, that's the main text that the egalitarians use. Those are women, people that argue for women. And then there's other texts that we will handle in the future Sundays. Um, I can't go on to women and the Apostle Paul. But it's really interesting, women and the Apostle Paul, if you ever study it. Uh, Apostle Paul was also pretty down with women. I know he's the one who wrote the two main texts, uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, that gives us the biggest problems exegetically for, for trying to uh, help women to lead and to teach and preach. But that same author who wrote these things, that's the same author that was down with um, having Priscilla and Aquila, where in that culture, men's names were often listed first. But whenever Paul would write, he would also he would always write Priscilla's name first, meaning that Priscilla had some kind. She was like a cleric. She was like a leader, and Aquila was you know he was her husband was more like a supporter. So you know always Priscilla's mentioned first. Paul also traditionally has a uh, refers to a person named Junia, which in ancient Greek culture and ancient uh, Roman culture, that name was always feminine. And in recent translations, they try to add an S and try to make it masculine. But in reality, that was traditionally always a female name. Junia. And then there's, um, and by the way, Priscilla and Aquila, they taught Apollos. Apollos, who was considered an apostle. When Apollos was still learning about Jesus' ways, Priscilla and Aquila, it says, took him aside and taught him the ways of Jesus. Anyway, um, there's a lot of different things, but uh, my message today is simply that women are not inferior. Women are created in the image of God just as man is. And so whether you're a girl or a guy in here, get it out of your head that women are inferior. Women are capable. Women Women are able. In fact, there are things that women can do. We argue always that men can do things that women can't do. But in actuality, there's also women, things that women can actually do that men can't do. 
But anyway, that's, that's another point. Okay. Uh, women and men, both created in God's image, both given the mandate to take dominion. Women are not inferior. I'm going to end there. Let's close our eyes. Praise the Lord. Father, uh, we just pray right now, Lord. We want to begin to identify demonic strongholds that Satan has set up in the cultures and governments and people groups of the world. Lord, there are so many women that are prevented from pursuing their true calling because of cultural and traditional beliefs that are unbiblical, that have been passed down to them, forced upon them. And Father, I'm praying, God, at this hour, that you will set the captives free. Jesus, this is what you came to do. You came that they may have life, both men and women, and life abundant. For the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come into your life to give you life and life abundant. Father, I pray right here in this room, Lord, there be a renewing of the mind. And that lie that women are inferior will be rooted out of our heads, God. We thank you that, God, we are in an age in which women are receiving an education. In which women are receiving opportunities that they never had before. We thank you. We celebrate where we are at. But God, Lord, we still got a long ways to go, Lord. Both out there in the world, but also here in the church. We desire to see the fullness of what both men and women in the church can do at this hour of history, Lord. So we pray, Father God, right now, let the women rise up. Let the women no longer be timid. Let the women no longer be ashamed. May the women no longer be guilty, feel guilty. May the women rise up. Rise up to their, fulfill their true sense of call. Church, I'm going to ask everyone to just go ahead and stand up at this point.